Welcome to the Jumpstart Your Faith podcast channel, where you will receive the essential tools to take your faith to the next level. I am your host, Brian Ratliff, and I currently pastor Clearbrook Baptist Church in Roanoke, Virginia. Here is the latest message preached from one of our services. Grab your Bible, pen, notepad, and get ready to jumpstart your faith. The title of my sermon this evening and really the sermon series that we're going to be traveling through the next several or few weeks here is Signs of Christ's Second Coming. Signs of Christ's Second Coming, and this is part one. As we come to this chapter this evening, I want to just kind of bring you up to speed about these individuals and about the situation that's going on here in our passage. In fact, if I could just take you back to, to the scene. I want you to understand that these disciples, they're on the Mount of Olives, and I've been there, and I've seen this place, a place that is like a cemetery where there's graves upon graves and, and, and caskets upon caskets and, and, and spot upon spot where, where these deceased are placed and they're remembered and waiting for the resurrection day. And here in that moment, Jesus, or on that mountain, Jesus is there with His disciples, and they come to Him and they ask Him about His second coming and what the signs will be. And I want you to understand this. What's going through their mind, keep in mind that Jesus is speaking to these 12 disciples, and these 12 disciples, they were not Gentile. They were Jewish. So they have spent time meditating in the Old Testament, the Torah, the first five books, the prophets, the prophets, and, and the book and the Psalms, and, and many of the Old Testament writings they spent time in. And, and they spent time meditating in Micah's prophetic passage in, Ma in Micah chapter 5 and verse number 2, where it talks about the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem and they just observed prior to this them sitting on the Mount of Olives a few years earlier that this same man was born in Bethlehem they saw with their own eyes the prophet Isaiah's pro prophecy in, in chapter 7 about how the Messiah would be born of a virgin. And in Matthew's gospel, the very, very first chapter, we read not only he was born in Bethlehem, but he was born of a, of a virgin named Mary, and they called his name Jesus, and also God with us and Emmanuel. They've seen some of these prophecies fulfilled right before their eyes. And so they were anticipating Christ, the Messiah, to establish his kingdom. And in fact, it's interesting, if you got your Bibles there, you can turn over to Luke's gospel and Luke chapter number four, right after Jesus was tempted by Satan, he marches into to Nazareth and he goes into the synagogue and he, and he opens up the scroll of Isaiah and he reads from Isaiah chapter 61, he reads the first two verses, but he only reads half of the second verse. And the Bible says that there was delivered unto him the book of the prophet Isaiah in Luke chapter 4, verse 17. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and recovering of the sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And then he closed the scroll, the Bible says. And then in verse number 21, in that synagogue, all the eyes were upon Jesus, focused and fixed upon Him because He just read the very words of Scripture. And He says, this day is this Scripture fulfilled in your ears. 
Now, if you know anything about the prophet Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 61, verses 1 and 2, Jesus does not finish all of those verses. In fact, the second half of verse number 2, it says where he stopped, he closes it after saying to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord, and he closed the scroll, and then it goes on to say, and the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all that mourn. You see, in the Jewish mind, they believed that the Messiah was going to come. But they didn't understand the two phases of his, or, or how he would, come in, he would come twice. The first coming, the Bible talks about how he would come and he would preach the gospel to all those who would listen. And he would die and rise again. They, they, they married all of those prophecies together and did not understand what we understand today. And as you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we begin to un, unfold the truth that the Messiah would come the first time riding in on a donkey. And he would come the second time, coming in not to preach, but to judge the world. And so for their eyes, they saw this fulfilling for themselves. But they did not understand the age of the church. How that God would, would, would have a time of the Gentiles because the people of Israel hardened their hearts as a whole to God's word. They rejected the prophets that God sent. They stoned them. They killed them. They rejected the message of God's word. So now, in a sense, God's judgment is upon them. And in the future, he's going to establish his kingdom. But they thought that he was going to do it right now. They were anticipating on Matthew, on Matthew chapter 24 that Jesus was going to eventually set up his earthly kingdom. In Zechariah 9, 9, we read about the prophecy of how the Messiah would come in a donkey and into Jerusalem. And, and there they, they observe all these and many other prophecies about the Messiah. So, so if you could imagine, their, their, their emotional levels have skyrocketed. They were like, oh, wow, this is the man that the Old Testament prophets have talked about. And, and now we've seen him face to face. And, and wow, they were rejoicing. And so here they are sitting on the Mount of Olives and they say, Jesus, what are the signs of your coming? Tell us, when are you going to set up your earthly kingdom? And he begins to tell them. But I want you to know this, that after this, may I draw your attention later on in the gospel, he died. And so the hopes and the dreams and, and all that's going on in the Jewish mind were crushed the day the Messiah died. Because they're, they're, they're looking for the kingdom that he was going to establish on earth. A physical, literal kingdom for a thousand years. And he died. And so there, their hopes and dreams were crushed by the death of, the, of Jesus on the cross. But then we read about how Jesus rose victoriously from the grave and the two women, they travel to the tomb and then they come back and they, they share the message to the apostles and say, hey, the tomb is empty. He's not there. He's risen. And then the emotions begin to lift again and say, wow, wow. Psalm 22 was a messianic psalm and talked about his, the Messiah's death. Isaiah 53 talks about the Messiah's death. And then Psalm 16 talks about the Messiah's resurrection. And so then... After the resurrection, they meet him again. And in Acts chapter 1, verses 5 through 11, they ask him the question again. When is now the time you're going to set up your kingdom? With that in mind, you can go back and study other writings about these Jewish people. They believed in a coming of the Messiah and an establishment of his kingdom. They just didn't understand there'd be a first coming and a second coming. And so in their mind, 
They are viewing this man who's resurrected from the grave and they're saying this is the one who Isaiah talked about in Isaiah 9. He's the one who's going to establish the government of righteousness, the kingdom of God. This is the one who's going to, who's going to establish the kingdom that the lion is going to lie down with the lamb. This is the one that Jeremiah talked about how he was going to be the righteous branch of David. The one I, Ezekiel talked about how the glory of God is going to fill the temple of the Lord with the very presence of the Messiah. He, they, they're thinking in their mind, this is the one that Daniel spoke of about how in the second chapter, how this kingdom will have no end. How, how in chapter 7 of Daniel, he be the ancient of days who will reign for all eternity. And this is the one who Daniel talked about the 70th week of Daniel. They've lived up to the 69 weeks and boom, they're like, oh, the 70th week. We're ready to establish the kingdom here on earth. They're thinking in their minds, this is Zechariah. This is the one Zechariah talked about, about the day of the Lord coming. And about the Messiah would plant his foot on the Mount of Olives. And here we are. We're talking to him on the Mount of Olives. This is the man that, that, would, that would establish the living waters flowing from Jerusalem. This is the one that they're, that they're talking about where people would gather all over the world to worship him. In fact, if you study these passages in the Old Testament, you would literally think that they have just read Paul's writings in 2 Thessalonians chapter number 1 and 2, and then John's writings in Revelation chapter 20 about an establishment of thousand years. In fact, John, John writes in Revelation 20 six specific times of a thousand years mentioned. So it has to be literal. I like what MacArthur said. He said they thought he was coming to establish his kingdom. They could sense the child of Isaiah 9 was ready to take on the government, the kingdom of God. They could sense the stone cut out without hands by Daniel was ready to crush out the power of evil men. That the Messiah would make an end of sin to make ready uh, to crush out, excuse me, to, that the Messiah would make an end of sin to make reconciliation for iniquity and to usher in the kingdom of righteousness. He goes on to say, they could sense that the Son of Man would be given glory and dominion of a kingdom that has no end. He says they could sense what Isaiah, Daniel, Ezekiel, Jeremiah, and Zechariah had to say about the day of the Lord. As we come to Matthew chapter 24, all this has got to be in your mind. Because that's exactly what they were thinking. But I also want to share this before we dive into to the meat of the message this evening. I want to share with you that, that if we were to take the Bible and we were to read the Bible like any other book, that you go to the library, you open up the newspaper or magazine, you read it like any other book, you have to interpret it the way it's being read. And if you're going to be true to a proper hermeneutical understanding of Matthew chapter 24, this chapter was not fulfilled in 70 AD when the temple was destroyed. This, this chapter is not fulfilled through the church, but it is a future fulfillment in the days to come. And the, the verses we're going to meditate in this evening is going to reveal to us five road signs about the second coming of Jesus Christ. And I want to share these with you. I want to share with you five signs from these verses about the second coming of Jesus Christ. And before I share this with you, I want to share this thought. Bible prophecy was not written to scare us. It was written to prepare us. 
So as we come to Matthew chapter 24, let's, let's kind of pull ourselves out of the whole context that we're living in right now. And let's view it as the very words of God and let's not try to read our current state and history into the passage. Let's pull out what God's word is saying and then at the end, let's try to make sense of it together. The first sign I want to share with you is from verses 1 through 5. I wrote down this. The sign of great deception. The sign of great deception. From the very beginning, we read that the devil's tactics has been deception. Genesis chapter 3. Deceiving the first man and woman to partake in the forbidden fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. You see, Satan hasn't changed his tactics. His tactics are still subtle and with great deception and trickery. He just gets a new audience. But I want you to know what we're about to read is going to be an elevation in deception leading up to the days prior to Christ's second coming. The sign of great deception. Look at verses uh, 3. Look, let's, let's look at verses 3 and 4 and 5. So the disciples come, they're with Jesus in the Mount of Olives, and they ask him, When shall the signs of these things be? What shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world? Is the world coming to an end? Yes, it is. Is it going to end today? Don't think so. But it is going to end in the future. But look at verse number four. It says, And Jesus answered and said unto them, Take heed that no man deceive you. He says, For many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. I thought about this evening trying to go back throughout time and just getting a little survey about the ones who have come on the scene in history saying that they are the Messiah and they've come. And there have been plenty of people who have tried to say that. But I want you to know this. I, instead of doing that, I, I just decided I wanted to share with you what, what, what Jesus said in, in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 7. He said that there's going to come false prophets, and in other words, false Christ. People coming on the scene saying they're doing my works in my name, but they're not of me. And he said, you will know them by their fruits. Right now, we're already seeing people preaching in the name of Jesus, but not preaching the pure message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. These individuals that, that the Bible's speaking of here, they're going to be coming in the name of Jesus, saying, hey, I'm the Messiah, I'm the Christ, the one that was predicted to come. And they are going to be saying, hey, 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 all these things. But, but they are actually going to be perverting and twisting the very words of Scripture. Even in our day, we see people perverting the very words of God from the prosperity gospel. People using the pulpit and the very words of God as a, as a means to, to make selfish lucre and money for themselves. I want you to know this, that clear any clear studying of the very words of God, this is not a place to, to, to do that. This is not a place of merchandise. Back in the Old Testament, when they, were, when they were abusing those things, Jesus stepped in and he flipped the money changers over and he said, you've turned the house of prayer into a den of thieves. And so many people today are doing just that. In 1 John, we read John speaks about 
how there will be many antichrists, people who are against Christ, and they're risen. Even in the days of John and the early apostles, all throughout history, we've seen it over and over again. But the Bible mentions here that there's going to be a rise in this deception and these false prophets and these false Christs. And even 2 John chapter 1 and 1 John chapter 4 mentions this. And notice here, it says, verse number 5, For many, many, not a few, not some, but many, so we should be expecting people to come on the scene and preaching in the name of Jesus. And that's why it's so important that every message we hear, we sift through the very words of Scripture. The sign of great deception. Ultimately, there's going to come one, which we'll talk about later on, who we call the Antichrist, not a Antichrist, somebody who's against Christ, but the Antichrist is going to be indwelt, not by the Spirit of God, but the Spirit of Satan and the abomination of desolation we read of in chapter number, uh, in this chapter in verse number number 15, spoken of by the Daniel, and we're going to get into that next week, Lord willing, but anyways, this ultimately is referring to, to a one who one day will come and will march into the very temple of God, declare himself to be God, and demand people to worship him, the ultimate false Christ. The first sign we read about in this passage is the sign of great deception. But now I want to share with you as we move forward. In verses 6 through 8, I wrote down, secondly, the sign of worldwide devastation. The sign of worldwide devastation. Remember, these are rose signs that are preparing us for the coming of Jesus Christ. And so the first sign we looked at is deception. The rose sign of deception. That people will come trying to deceive. And that's why it is crucial that you as a child of God get your nose and your face inside the very words of Scripture. And then we'll see a sign of worldwide devastation. Worldwide devastation. And Jesus elaborates on these words. He says in verse number 6, You shall hear wars and rumors of wars. In other words, he's saying there's going to be war after war after war after war, and you're going to be hearing about these wars from that moment until my second coming, my return. Time doesn't allow us this evening, but, but let's just ponder just a couple of the wars that we faced in the 1900s. You had World War I. You had World War II. You had Vietnam. You had so many of the wars. Then you had the war on terror earlier in the two, year of, in the 2000s era. And, and, and we, we see war all over the world. In other words, Jesus is saying, hey, hey mankind, is gonna, there's going to be kingdom rising against kingdom. There's going to be war after war after war after war. It's all going to be part of this worldwide devastation. Notice his words. He says, you'll hear war after war after war and rumors of wars. But then check it out now. He says, see that you be not troubled. When you turn on television, when you turn on CNN and Fox News and any other news station, it should not trouble you that there's war after war after war. Sure, it might hinder our spirit. Sure, it might make us um, uneasy. But the Bible says, do not be troubled. Because Jesus said this is all part of what will take place before my coming. He goes on to say, it shall, or it must, for all these things must come to pass. But then check it out now. He says, the end is not yet. 
So we've seen, just in the last 100 years, we've seen a great holocaust with Adolf Hitler. We've seen people butchered by the millions and millions and millions in war. Some of the wars have been nothing more and nothing less of political. That's all it's been. And then there's been wars of, of nations hating each other and just trying to, do, to, to, to annihilate each other. Hatred ultimately will turn into war. And we see that, that this passage says this is still not the end yet. So I think that, that in a sense we might be living in something like this. That we've seen war after war after war. It's not the end just yet. He said it's a sign, a road sign. So don't be troubled. And then he says here in verse number 7, Nation shall rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. Now we see that today. You can just go to Israel right now and you can see all, you can literally, you can feel the tension in the Middle East. You can sense it. And I'm telling you, you can sense that tension all over the world. I mean, it, it, talk about, uh, we're on the verge every single day. I'm not trying to scare you, but we're on the verge every single day of a nuclear war. I mean, at any time, somebody could press a button and blow up, we are told, the whole world. And this, I believe, is things that the Bible speaks of, war and war and war, rumors of wars and then nation rising against nation and kingdom against kingdom. So there will be the devastation of warfare. But then, in this worldwide devastation, not only will it be the devastation of warfare, but I also think this, that, that the Bible goes on to say that there shall be famines. So there will be a devastation of famine. Worldwide famine. I want to share something with you. I want to share an article. Quick facts about what you need to know about worldwide hunger. Around the world... 820 million people do not have enough food they need to live an active, healthy life. One in every nine people goes to bed hungry each night, including 20 million people currently at risk of famine in South Sudan, Sudan, Somalia, Yemen, and Nigeria. People suffering from chronic hunger are plagued with recurring illnesses, developmental disabilities, and low productivity. They are often forced to use all their limited physical and financial resources just to put food on the table. There are so many people right now experiencing Hunger to the degree of famine. We've heard of, of plagues of, of, of locusts coming and sweeping through nations and, and taking out crops and produce for people to eat. We hear about all this stuff in our world today, and the Bible says that this is all part of the rose sign of worldwide devastation. So, hey, let me, let me just share something with you. The next time you sit down and eat at your table... You want to thank God that there's food on your table. I'll tell you, this, this whole season of, of our lives right now has given me a whole new perspective on food. That we don't have to have the most expensive steak from Outback or some other restaurant. We can, we can be content with just having food on our table. Just to eat. Imagine with me the little boys and girls of the Middle East and in Africa and, and in Asia and in India and in South America that right now 
aren't enjoying the food and luxuries that we're enjoying even in coronavirus quarantine. Worldwide devastation of famine. Worldwide devastation of warfare. But check it out now. Not only will there be a bunch of war, not only will there be a bunch of famine and dearth of food, but Jesus says pestilences or diseases. So I wrote down this. The devastation of pestilence. Remember, he said that the end is not near when we see these things and do not be troubled. So when we see war, hear about it, let's not be troubled. When we see famine and we hear about it, let's not be troubled. It's all things that are going to come to pass before Christ's second coming and, and, and coming to establish his kingdom. But then he says diseases or pestilences. Now this is from, we've been hearing a whole lot about the CDC. But I want to share this with you just in the United States alone. Just, just in America alone. This is the number of deaths for leading causes of death. Heart disease, 647,457 people died of that. Cancer, 559,108 people died. Accidents, that is an unintentional injury, 169,936 people. Chronic lower respiratory diseases, 160,201 people. Stroke, 146,383 people. Alzheimer's disease, 121,404 people. Diabetes, 83,564 people. Influenza, uh, pneumonia, 55,672. And then many other diseases, but here's one that's striking. Self-harm or intentional self-harm or suicide, 47,173 people. Here the Bible says there will be pestilences or diseases. Leading up, part of this road sign of worldwide devastation. Perhaps what we're seeing right now, if what's being told about all this from, from medical professionals and the media is true, perhaps this is, this is one of these diseases that could wipe out a huge populace of people throughout our world. And diseases like the coronavirus, diseases like cancer, diseases like pneumonia, diseases like the flu, diseases like the diabetes, diseases like all these things are things that are going to take place because of sin. You see, here's the whole situation. Disease is a, role, is a result of sin. Death is a result of sin. And because we sinned against the holy, righteous, almighty God, at some point in our lives, we're going to die and kick the bucket. The Bible says the point of the man who wants to die and after this is judgment. The Bible says we're all going to face God at the judgment. We're all going to stand before him and give an account. And a pestilence is just a way that people are going to experience that. A, 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 a famine or dearth of food, hunger, is a way that somebody might die and experience that thing we call death. War. And people die all the time in war. And it's just another means and another way that because of the curse, people are going to to cross over into eternity. This is things that we should just expect and understand that diseases are going to rise, death is going to rise, famine's going to rise, and war is going to rise. But then he also goes on to say this, and not just pestilence, not just famine, not just warfare, but also the devastation of earthquakes. The road sign of worldwide devastation tells us 
that there will be earthquakes popping up throughout the world. I am told that last year in 2019, a total of 1,637 earthquakes with a magnitude of five or more were recorded worldwide. Earthquakes often cause a variety of of issues such as sometimes tsunamis come and, and as a result of an earthquake a, a humongous wave will come and, and lay captive to a, a people, a, a group of people or a nation and, and, and nonetheless that, that we, that why is there earthquakes today? Well, I believe that back in the book of Genesis the Bible says that the fountains of the deep bursted open and the earth opened up and the waters from under underneath the earth came zooming out and then as a result of the earth opening up we saw the mountains take place and then these fault lines begin to shift and, and as a result of the fault line shifting, we see the earthquakes taking place. And it's just part of the days leading up to the second coming. We've seen back in the 90s that, that huge earthquake that hit, I believe it was San Francisco, and it took out a, a whole lot, it caused a, a big mess. We see earthquakes that take place throughout day after day after day, even last year. All of these things are going to take place. In fact, I experienced, we experienced an earthquake here in Roanoke just a few years ago. And I was visiting uh, one of our church members, Brother James Payne, in the hospital. And I'll never forget that I visited him because I went up to the fifth floor, Lewis Gale. And there I was, he was in the hospital and we were just praying with him and trying to encourage him with some scripture and, and to offer some, some comfort during his trial he was going through. And then all of a sudden, the walls began to shake and, and I said, hey, brother, I got to go. <laughs> and so I marched out of that hospital as fast as I could after I prayed with them because I didn't want to be caught in the hospital during an earthquake. I say that to say this. That is just part of a sign leading up to the second coming of Jesus Christ. But then verse number eight, after he says these earthquakes are going to come in diverse places, also perhaps referring to pestilences and famines and, and the wars because of the, the usage of the comma there. But then in verse number 8, it says, All these are the beginning of sorrows. Because of the curse, we experience all these things. And we experience sorrow. But in Revelation 21, the Bible says there will come a day after the millennial kingdom, that all of these sorrows and death and pain is wiped away. So we've seen so far the sign of great deception. Secondly, I wrote down the sign of worldwide devastation. I've got five of them for you, but number three, hang in there with me. This is important stuff. The sign of severe persecution. The sign of severe persecution. As we're driving down the road and we're in, in, in the shoes of the apostles and as Jesus is, or as he's delivering this great speech and message after the question, and by the way, it's the longest recorded answer to any question Jesus ever was asked. I find that interesting. And as he is revealing this, all, uh, this discourse on the Mount of Olivet, we see that in verse number 9, he emphasizes not just deception and devastation, but he emphasizes persecution. Now, we know that, that, that these apostles experienced great persecution. Some were crucified upside down. Some were in prison. Some were, were, were beheaded. And some were, were, we're not going to get into all that, but they were tortured beyond comprehension. And throughout history, throughout the centuries, we could, we could read about all these different people and rulers who persecuted Christians. Timothy 
His letter that Paul wrote to him says that we all suffer persecution if we're godly in Christ Jesus. But I want to share with you some thoughts from an article from opendoorsusa.org. I found this interesting. So the next time that, that you think you're being persecuted because somebody might cuss you out or, or make fun of you, listen to this. Eleven Christians are killed every single day to follow Jesus Christ. In North Korea, Christians are considered hostile elements. In Afghanistan, Christianity, Christianity is not permitted to exist. In Somalia, Christians are high-value targets. In other words, if they find out you're a Christian, you're instantly a target for death. Believers in Libya face abuse and deadly violence. This is every day, right now, in 2020. Christians in Pakistan live with constant threat of mob attacks. Christian converts in Sudan are targeted specifically to be persecuted. Christians are imprisoned and dying in shipping containers in Eritrea. Believers in Yemen are especially vulnerable in civil war and famine. In Iran, it is illegal to convert to Christianity, and it is illegal to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. In India, there's unpre unprecedented violence against Christians. And we could go on and on about many other things. But I want you to know this, that here in verse number 9, the Bible says, Then shall they deliver you up to be afflicted, and shall kill you, and ye shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. So he says here that at this point, at this point in, in Matthew's gospel and in this uh, part of the, the discourse and sermon that Jesus is delivering, that these people are one day going to be persecuted in such a degree that it could enter death. The sign of severe persecution. We see this sign today, and I want you to know this, that it's just going to get worse and worse and worse. There's just going to be more earthquakes. There's just going to be more pestilence. There's just going to be more famine. There's just going to be more war. But one day, there's going to be a worldwide declaration of peace through the Messiah, Jesus, when he comes. Check it out now. So we've looked at the great sign, the sign of great deception, the sign of worldwide per devastation, the sign of severe persecution. But I also want to emphasize this sign in verses 10 through 13. I wrote down this, the sign of great desertion. The sign of great desertion. Did you know that in the last days, the Bible says, there will be a departure from the Christian faith. In fact, in Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 4, the Bible tells us that when Paul's writing to this young man of the faith, he says there will be a time when, when men and women will depart from the faith in the last days. We're seeing a great departure from people who grew up in Christian homes, from people who, 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 who hear about Jesus' death and burial and resurrection and hear about the Word of God. We're seeing a great departure from that. And I believe that here we might be seeing the very beginnings of all of this stuff taking place. But here in this passage, in verse number 10, why will, be there, why will there be a great departure or desertion of the Christian faith? Excuse me. 
Well, in verse 10, I wrote on this, the cost will be too high to remain faithful. Coming up to the days of, of Christ's return and then bleeding into the tribulational period, the cost of remaining faithful to Jesus Christ will be so high, people will run away. Verse number 10 says, And then shall many be offended and shall betray one another and shall hate one another. It reminds me of the verses in the gospel where it says that at that moment, the disciples, it was a hard saying and they could no longer follow Jesus. Verse number 11 I wrote on this, the deception will be too convincing to reject. So not only will there be false Christ coming, but here it says there'll be false prophets and they'll rise. And the Bible says they'll sh they shall deceive many. They will have oratory skills beyond anything we've ever seen. They will, be, they will be able to woo a crowd in such a direction that will not be in the ways of Jesus Christ. And here the Bible says that there will be many of these false prophets and they'll rise up and they'll deceive many. And the deception will be too convincing to reject. People will, will hear it and they'll say, oh, wow, it just makes total total sense, and, and, and how can we reject this? And then, verse number 12 and 13, it says, And because iniquity or sin shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. But he that endures to the end, the same shall be saved. I wrote on this. The sin will be too attractive to resist. The sin that will be so open so unashamed of, so proud of, it will be so attractive that the temptation will be almost impossible to resist. Now, I know that we've seen an increase of sin. We've seen perhaps the very beginning of the great sign of the desertion and departure of the faith. And here the Bible tells us that these are the beginnings of all this stuff. We know that ultimately there will be a great departure in the tribulational period, which we're going to talk about all that and next week, Lord willing, about how people will, will be given strong delusion and, and they'll believe a lie. But leading up to that day, the Bible talks about there will be a departure of the faith. We're seeing it right now by the droves. Worldwide. Worldwide. The road sign of deception, the road sign of devastation, the road sign of persecution, the road sign of desertion. Maybe you're here right now and you're being tempted to run away and walk away from the faith. Do not do it. You see, if you, if you truly know Jesus Christ, there's no amount of persecution, there's no amount of famine, there's no amount of war, there's no amount of earthquake, there's no amount of disease, there's no amount of, of anything that will take place that will keep you from staying in the love of God. That's why here the Bible says, he that endures to the end will be saved. In other words, he says, those who are saved are going to endure, and those who are not born again will not endure. But now it leads me to the fifth road sign. So we've seen this sign of, of the great desertion of the Christian faith. We've seen this sign as we're traveling down this road and, and hearing the words of Jesus on this um, discourse on the Mount of Olives, and then we've seen the severe persecution, the worldwide devastation, and great deception. But now I want to share with you fifthly and finally. The sign of the gospel advancing to every nation. The sign of the gospel advancing to every nation. Look at verse 20, excuse me, look at verse 14 of chapter 24. It says, And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations, and then shall the end come. There's been a lot of debate, a lot of thoughts about what this word means. But I will share with you what I believe in just a second. But I want you to know this. This is from the UnitedBibleSocieties.org, and I've shared it before, but I just thought it was 
important to share it again. This is, these are key facts about Bible access. 5.6 billion people now have access to the full Bible in their language. Yet more than half the world's languages still have no scripture at all. This is the encouraging and challenging overview of the Bible translation landscape at the start of 2019. So these are statistics from 2019. Of the 7,350 languages in the world, the full Bible is now available in 692. <laughs> Did you understand that? Not even one-seventh of all the languages in the world have the whole Bible. But that amount of languages consists of 5.6 billion people. That means around 1.5 billion people do not have the full Bible in their language. However, 1,547 languages used by 805 million people have the New Testament. And shorter portions of Scripture are available in further 1,123 languages used by 411 million people. That leaves 3,988 languages used by 256 million people without any Scripture. Did you hear me? 250 million people in our world today do not have access to the very words of God in their own language. We have much work to do. We still have to publish the gospel into the world. And we are called to do that. But here, the Bible says there's going to come a day when the entire world, every nation, tribe, kindred, and tongue will hear the message of this kingdom and the gospel. And I want to draw your attention to Revelation chapter 14 where I believe that this will be ultimately fulfilled. In Revelation chapter 14... This does not mean we should not try to go into the highways and hedges in every nation, every area of the world, even the 1040 window where the Word of God is not there and they need the gospel. We all need the gospel and we are called to advance the gospel everywhere we go and in every nation that we can get into and, and just uh, share Jesus. And so right now, we may not be able to worship together in public, but we can still advance the glorious news of the gospel through the ways of the internet and through the conversations of the tele, uh, television and, and YouTube and Facebook and, and through telephone and everything that we can do. So let us, let's march through a message of the gospel forward. But here in Revelation chapter 14, verse 6 and 7 says, And I saw another angel fly in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach unto them that dwell on the earth, and to every nation and kindred and tongue and people, saying with a loud voice, Fear God and give glory to Him, for the hour of His judgment has come, and worship Him that made heaven and earth and the sea and the fountains of the waters. We believe that this verse that Jesus is sharing in verse 14 of Matthew 24 will be fulfilled that day when that angel will take and fly around the midst of heaven and advance the message of the good news of Jesus Christ. And that leads me to this thought. There was a man driving down the road and he got up to a bridge that was taken out. And there, if you drove off that bridge, you would fall to death. And so he got up and he screeched all the way up to it and saw where it was out and he got out and he saw what was done. And so what he did is he turned around in his car and he drove down a little ways and he began to wave at people in the traffic and try to, to, to tell them that, that, hey, the bridge is down. And he was yelling at the top of his lung and many people that passed by him thought, man, that guy is wacky. That man is crazy. He's just a fanatic. But then as they got closer and closer, some flew off the edge of the cliff and some stopped. And the ones who began to realize that, hey, he was warning them of what was to come, they were thankful. 
I say that to say this. That as we think about Matthew 24, we know Jesus has already come with peace on a donkey and died and rose again. And we celebrate that this week. But we know the second time he comes, he's coming as a judge. And we are called by God to take this message to the world and tell them to prepare for the second coming of Christ and for the judgment that is to come. Hey guys, thanks so much for tuning in to the Jumpstart Your Faith podcast channel. As a token of my appreciation for you listening today, I would like to give you my free ebook devotional called Jumpstart Your Faith 30 Days to a Renewed Faith in Christ. Just go to www.pastorbrianratliff.com to download it. Please be sure to subscribe to this podcast channel to listen to more messages like today's. And if these messages have been helpful to you, please leave a review. If I could be of any help in your spiritual walk, please let me know by emailing me at pastorbrianratliff at yahoo.com. And one last thing, if you're in Roanoke, please consider joining us for one of our worship services at Clearbrook Baptist Church. Until next time, may God's blessings be upon you and have a great week.